This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Best bits of the business breakfast from today, Wednesday, the 27th of December. We're going to kick off with some New Year's Eve-nomics looking in particular at the business of fireworks. What is the economic cost but also the environmental cost. Then one of our top aviation stories today, India wants a lot more routes on lucrative flights to Dubai. The thoughts of Venamra Longani. He's a New Delhi-based aviation expert. Then we're talking about the short-stay rental market here in the UAE. Vinyak Matani of BNBME, he gave us his thoughts. And finally, looking back at the winners and losers on stock markets in the UAE in 2023, Andrew Tarbuck, who is a lawyer with the law firm Altamimi. All that to come. First up, though, New Year's Nomics. Richard and Brandy with you in that very odd little week uh, between Christmas and New Year's. Or just that odd week between fireworks displays. A lot coming up for you in the next hour. We are talking about this a little bit earlier. Lots of messages coming in. We were talking about the cost of fireworks. A container from Europe is about $300,000 fully loaded with fireworks. It's about half that from China. China, Italy, Spain are reportedly the three big source markets for fireworks here in the UAE. But a message came in, no name on this. Does someone look at the environmental cost of the fireworks displays as well as the economics of them? The answer is, of course, yes. I referenced earlier on an article on the website Wired. And they looked at the cost of fireworks. Recent research on fireworks environmental impact was published in the Pacific Conservation Biology Journal. A new one on me. But there we have it. They examined the ecological effects of Diwali festivities in India, 4th of July celebrations across the United States and some other events, Brandy, in your home country, New Zealand and parts of Europe. This is what the research concluded. Apart from large scale fireworks, water, air and soil pollution, they also significantly affect the regular cycle of wildlife, such as migration and mating. As a result, the research suggested switching to what they called cleaner drone and laser light shows to avoid these negative impacts. However, Wired asks, are drones really environmentally friendly? And they quote one expert as saying the number of kilowatt hours needed for a drone display is significant. That has an environmental cost as well. So to answer the question, uh, yes, people are counting the environmental cost. Uh, We will also be having a look at one of our big stories of the day, which is this question coming out of India when it comes to airline seats. A lot of Indian press this morning um, carrying a report that Indian authorities want to see more airline seats between India and Dubai. Okay, that's nothing new. There's been calls for that on on all sides for for a wee while. It's the ratio that have got people talking this morning. Reports from the Economic Times that India wants to see four new seats for Indian carriers for every one new seat granted to Dubai Airlines. We know that bilateral agreement is being described by many and has been for a while as basically being at capacity. But how do you extend it? And these negotiations, what do they call it? The aeropolitics of it have been going on for years. Um, the numbers are as follows. At the moment, 66,000 seats per week between Dubai and 15 Indian cities. That is not enough. But who gets them? Is it gonna, are they going to go to the likes of Indigo 
and Air India, fresh with a new war chest from their new owners, Tata, or are they going to go to Emirates and fly Dubai? And how is that pie going to be divvied up? So India, the Economic Times reports, as you mentioned, wants four seats for every one that the Dubai carriers get, which seems on the one hand very unfairly skewed towards India. The argument, though, is this. Officials in India quoted as saying UAE-based airlines use their allocations to fly passengers from India to Europe and North America, which have higher ticket value. Indian airlines stick mostly to point-to-point India to Dubai. People get off in Dubai, and that is less lucrative. They also quote Campbell Wilson, who's the boss of Air India, saying it is very difficult for us to fly an aircraft to North America if there is a surplus of capacity that allows people to travel out by some other airline. And so too much just leaks out. He says you must incubate your local market because that's fundamentally the most beneficial thing you can do for the economy. Where do you stand on this? The four to one ratio is the most curious thing. I mean, I I don't think it's, well, I say I don't think it's debated. Clearly it is being debated because it hasn't happened. Um, It's generally agreed that, you know, the routes are are at capacity and and that more needs to be put in there. We know that India's got massive expansion plans. Reuters did a big interview a few months ago um, with the aviation minister who was talking about, you know, the fact that they want their domestic carriers to be doing a lot more international travel that when someone from from Mumbai goes to France for exactly to be doing for example to be doing it on an Indian carrier um, Air India with the new planes that it has ordered that record order rather than going through Dubai and and going on an Emirates for example Um, if everyone agreed there wouldn't be a story there is that so we do have Vanemra Longani this morning from SGI Aviation speaking to us about where we are and, and where we think that it is all going. Also, while we've got him on the line, we're going to have a bit of a chat to him um, about the busyness or otherwise of uh, Christmas and New Year's travel. We know that ticket prices are high. Um, is that putting people off travelling at the moment? We've got the guys from B&B ME in the studio a little bit later on to talk about the, the rising mid-stay market if you like, people renting monthly um, here in Dubai, but also chatting about what we are seeing um, in the the sort of the self-catering market, if you like, the the short-stay market, the New Year's Eve and for Christmas. Are the thundering hordes coming in or are the high ticket prices putting them off? Well, certainly Gulf News thinks that the hordes are coming in. Their headline this week, 4,500 dirhams per day. The Dubai short-stay rental market has surged by 50% a new year. We'll see another spike. They say Dubai property investors and landlords in Dubai who had put their faith in short-term rentals have been amply rewarded all throughout December. Year-on-year rate increases even touching highs of 50%, creating various market sources, including, for example, the um, AirDXB, which is a company here in Dubai, which, as its name suggests, plays in the Airbnb market. Uh, the guys you're speaking to just after 8 o'clock this morning, Brandy. Yeah, indeed. We are going to be speaking to the boss of BNBME. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. The absolute perfect person to speak to about the report in India's Economic Times that India is seeking more seats into Dubai, that it wants four for every seat that Dubai Airlines operate into India. We are speaking to Vanamra Longani, who is here of Business India at the aviation asset management firm SGI Aviation. Vanamra, good morning. It's lovely to chat to you again. 
Good morning. Thank you uh, for having me back. Hope you had a great Christmas. And you. So tell me, what is the the backstory to this report? Okay, so uh, in my opinion, this seems like a rather bizarre request because bilateral air service agreements, just by way of them being bilateral agreements, work when two parties get, you know, uh, similar sort of seat shares. For instance, the last time. So interestingly, uh, the backstory here is unlike other bilateral agreements, which are you know uh, negotiated between two countries with similar entitlements on each side. The India UAE one is unique because each emirate, for instance, Dubai has its own seat entitlement uh, with India. Uh, so does Russell Kaima, So does uh, Sharjah, and so does Abu Dhabi. So where we stand uh, currently is Dubai-based airlines have exhausted their seat entitlements to India, and so have Indian airlines, to be honest, which fly into Dubai. Uh, however, there are still seats available on, for instance, the Abu Dhabi bilateral. So, you know, uh, both airlines from both sides can continue to add flights, which I will uh, refer to slightly later in this conversation. So as it stands, uh, this stalemate has persisted for a while. It's been a couple of years, and every now and then, because this is such a key issue, you know, for travelers between the two countries. I mean, the UAE now is India's third largest trading partner. We have a fair, we have a free trade agreement with the UAE. So this relationship between the two countries is one which is very key to both, and which is why a report like this is widely read and circulated. Now, you see, the idea of having air these agreements between two countries is to promote air connectivity, which unlocks economic potential. Now, I see why India may not want to immediately jump at granting more seats in this case, because trade between India and UAE has grown irrespective. And, you know, this bilateral seat entitlement hasn't been expanded for a couple of years now. So much so that business investment uh, from the UAE to India continues to grow. Uh, UAE continues to attract human capital. These are things that, you know, happen with, you know, greater greater air ties between the two countries. But uh, again, just to give my sort of view on this, ideally, you know, it's great for business to have greater seats, a greater seat entitlement for India's airlines to be able to fly to Dubai too. But there are concerns and legitimate ones around, you know, the kind of traffic Dubai-based airlines, uh, you know, take away from India, whereas, which is, you know, sixth freedom traffic onwards to other, you know, countries in Europe and America, for instance, whereas India's airlines largely carry origin and destination traffic between uh, Dubai and India. Okay, which fits in with calls earlier this year from the Indian Aviation Minister for domestic carriers to basically up their international gain that he wants to see, as you say, more people going um, from India into Europe rather than going through Dubai to do so. What does Mm -hmm. that mean for this bilateral agreement going forward? What do you expect to happen? Well, you see, given the importance of the relationship, the trade relationship between the two countries, you know, I honestly see uh, this seat entitlement cap to be expanded, not by as much as the Dubai Airlines would like. You know, they've been asking for 50,000 extra seats. I don't see that happening. If at all, and when it happens, it'll be a marginal increase because you see, uh, India now wants to, I mean, and this is obviously the minister's vision too, uh, for India to be a hub, you know, for, for travel and, you know, for our airports, large airports to be hub airports and ferry traffic, not just, you know, from 
from everywhere else into you know these hubs in india to europe or america for instance but also you know have a share of you know connecting traffic now i'll give you an idea for instance air india recently launched flights from mumbai to melbourne and these flights along with their flights from delhi to london they connect very well to flights from london to uh, to australia so you see i mean this resurgent air india where 500 close to 500 aircraft have been ordered you know they want to tap into you know some of this you know traffic for instance on the kangaroo route as it's called so so and and that is probably why you know this 50000 seat requirement that you know the U, the uae and dubai based airlines and the government of the uae has constantly said we would like may not materialize What does it mean for the expansion of Indian um, airlines, though? Not just Air India, that record order, but like, I've got to say it carefully, Akasa Air, for example, the new low cost Mm -hmm. carrier reportedly flying to Saudi, Qatar and Kuwait, but not here. For new airlines and, and for expansion, how do we move that forward? well it's not ideal for them at all you see uh, uh, dubai is uh, one of the markets in the uae which is considered where, where people pay a premium to travel to and that's largely because there's not enough flights right but it is a place where you know people like to go to for tourism for business so so there is a premium to you know uh, launching flights there and making money so for akasa it's far from ideal because they would like to fly to dubai but there are no seats uh, you know which they can sort of avail of so you see it's a, it's a bit of a tricky one the likes of akasa would want a share of the pie currently they're not able to get it the likes of air india for instance would not want the bilateral expanded because uh, they're they're adding a, a fleet of brand new 350s the first one in fact just arrived a couple of days ago they'll have five more uh, i mean a fleet of six by march so so they want to they want to grow these non stop flights between india and other parts of the world so it's a tricky one and of course you know uh, there is the government sort of like you know idea of ensuring that india's airlines i mean call it protectionism or whatever you may uh, to ensure that india's airlines have an opportunity to grow non stop flights to all parts of the world Well, unfortunately, we have to leave it there this morning. Vinamra mm-hmm. Longani, the head of Business India at SGI Aviation, joining us this morning to talk to us about that Economic Times report that India is seeking four seats for every one seat um, in and out of Dubai and an expansion to that bilateral arrangement. Just the highlights. This is the bite-sized business breakfast. Looking at the short-stay market this morning and whether or not it is evolving into a medium-stay market. Very pleased to be joined by the founder and the CEO of the holiday home rental company BNBME, Vinayak Matani. Vinayak, it's lovely to see you again. Nice to have, nice to be here, Randy. Thank you. And wish you all a merry Christmas. And to you. Let's start short term. New Year's Eve. How busy are we? Well, I've got some statistics for you. Let me just pull those out because that will speak for itself. Last year, Dubai um, on New Year's Eve was eighty-seven uh, percent. Um, this year, we're sitting, and I'm talking about um, the market. So, we look at professionally managed holiday home companies mm-hmm. with uh, at least fifty properties under their portfolio at fifty-five point two five percent. Okay, that is massively down. Why do you think that is? Um, it, it is massively down, but we still have. Five days to go, so I do look at that number shifting quite uh, significantly. I don't think we're going to hit the eighty-seven um, percent, but I think we will be about seventy, mid seventies, which is still a healthy number to be at. Yeah, but it's not eighty-seven. <clears> Why the difference? 
there's several factors. One is the cost. You know, it is very expensive to fly into Dubai at the moment. Um, average ticket costs from Europe on economy class is about 1,200 to 1,500 euros. Um, Dubai is also not the cheapest place to come on at this time of the year. Hotels, our apartments are, 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 are expensive. Eating out is expensive. So I think with the way the economy is in Europe, uh, the Europeans are staying behind. Um, uh, the war hasn't helped. Um, the, the, the talk about the war, uh, globally they're talking about it being in the Middle East. Um, so if you're not from here and you're coming here for the first time, you're not going to. A couple of things like that. And what are we seeing for rates for these holiday apartments over New Year's? Um, so we're keeping our rates fairly high. Um, we, we, we don't think occupancy for the market is going to cross 70-75%. So by dropping your rate, it's not going to get you any benefit. Um, rate, rates have become, over the last several years, it's become a very dynamic and technical product. It's not about, oh, let me feel what I can price it at anymore. Our revenue managers look at demand of airlines and flights coming in and competition and hotels. So it's very complex in, in predicting a rate today. Okay, and this, of course, comes off the back of COP. There was a lot of talk about how busy COP was going to be in terms of accommodation. What do we actually see? Um, from our perspective in the market, COP didn't have a major impact for us. Um, uh, I know the hotels got fairly filled up, but I don't think there was enough demand to overflow and see an increase in holiday homes to, to, to spike the rates that much. Um, having said that, November has was probably one of the best Novembers uh, we have seen, but that's traditional. You know, Historically, November is the best month of the year. Okay, well, let's look from short term to medium term. And I'm someone who has a suitcase in this fight. Um, I've just <laughs> rented uh, by the month to, to, to fill a gap um, between eviction notices. Am I part of a trend? 100%. And that's a very large part of our growing, uh, a very large part of our business today. And it's growing double digits at the moment. Give me an, an idea. When you say it's growing double digits, where were we sort of pre-COVID and where are we now? Uh, under 5% pre-COVID. Of and, your business? Yeah, of our business. And we are today, I mean, next year we're going to aim for 30%. What kind of timeframes are we talking here? Paint a picture of what this market looks like. Right. So, so the short term is minimum length of stay one night, right? So you can check in today and you can check out tomorrow. Um, the regulation in Dubai doesn't allow us to rent out a property for more than three months. Right, so that anything more than 28 days to three months becomes what we call a corporate or mid-stay. Um, uh, and, and, and you get a variety of clients who are looking for this. You have people like yourself where they're either moving into another place and it's not vacant yet or they've bought a place and it's not ready yet, so they need something stopgap. You have people moving to Dubai. You know, you've got an influx of um, all these people coming in with their families and um, they don't know where they want to stay yet. Um, they want to check out the marina. They want to check out the palm. They want to. They want to live downtown. They take short lets for a month at a time, decide where they want to stay, and then until they rent or buy or buy a place. And uh, then you have the digital nomads who just come here for three months, four months at a time, and they don't want to rent a place and take deva and do and all those um, um, extras, and they put it on us. Um, also, with us, you get an advantage is. Um, you don't have any of those utilities to pay for. Your apartment is clent every every week. 
um, all the lamps fit into the walls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I had to put that in there, I'm sorry. But um, um, it's a service property, right? So if your AC doesn't work, we come and fix it. If your internet doesn't work, we come and fix it. If your TV blows up, we come and replace it. It's the luxury of staying in a hotel with all the facilities of a home. What is it doing to supply, though? If this is a growing market, what does it mean for the amount of stock out there? Supply, unfortunately, over the last 12 months has outpaced demand. You know, the amount of <clears throat> the number of properties that have launched in Dubai and come onto the Dubai market in 2023, I don't have the exact number, but I think it was over 12 or 15,000 new apartments. A big chunk of them have come onto the short term. And I'm talking about probably 30, 40% of them. Um, so supply has doubled um, over 2022. Obviously, demand hasn't doubled. Um, so we are we are seeing <clears throat> in the short-term market a slight correction in terms of the supply and demand, which is normal in any business. And um, we see supply having hit its peak and starting to taper off now. And so in 2024, I think you'll see fewer properties on the short-term market, which will help the prices go back up. Right. And presumably those properties will then make their way back onto the long-stay market, the traditional market? Um, I think they'll go back onto the long-stay, yeah. Um, because the long-stay market is doing very strong. However, we've been doing certain studies and, and models, and um, the short-term, even at today's rate, over a three-year period, the short-term will still beat the long-term, thanks to the regulation that's in place in Dubai to protect tenants in a long-term market. What are you expecting to see um, <clears throat> rate-wise happen in this medium-stay market? I mean, I know firsthand it is quite competitive. Things were going within... 24 hours of viewing it. It was a case of grab it or don't. Uh, what does that do to the price people are paying? What are they willing to pay for this? So I, I think if you take a combination of medium stay and short stay in popular areas, you will still beat the long term by 30, 35% over a period of a year. For the landlords? For the landlords, yeah. So a mid, a mid, a mid term is obviously going to be a lot more expensive than renting it yourself for the year. But presumably, those looking to pop their stock onto the midterm market, they can do so in slightly less desirable areas than the short term. You don't have to be right in the tourist heart of, I don't know, the, the marina or downtown. No, the midterm areas are different. So midterms, you know, places like the Greens works very well. Dubai Hills is doing very well in midterm. It's more residential than tourist. Um, the tourists want to be in the heart of downtown. They want to be on the Palm. Um, somebody, for example, like yourself, you prefer to be in an area which has a nicer community, which has a park, you know, which has nice supermarkets around, somewhere where you can live. Um, and so the communities are very different for these properties. But yes, um, there are secondary markets. JVC, for example, does very well for the metro market. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We have to leave it there, unfortunately, but we do appreciate a man who comes in with numbers. Vinayak Matani is the founder and CEO of the holiday home rental company BMBME, talking to us not just um, about the slightly subdued demand so far uh, for this market for New Year's Eve, but also for the rise in the midterm market. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Right, talking stock markets now. Andrew Tarbuck's in the studio. He's a partner and head of capital markets at the law firm Altamimi. Morning, Andrew. Good morning, Richard, and good morning, Brandy. 
busy year for you and your ilk working in capital markets here in the UAE. Lots of IPOs. Bloomberg reporting this week the Middle East IPO IPO boom set to continue in 2024, except for Turkey is the one caveat it has. But let's look back, first of all, at the winners and losers of 2023. And can I start with the overall markets, Andrew? Because very much a tale of two cities. The Dubai markets had a cracking 2023. The main DFM index up 21% year to date. But Abu Dhabi, the ADX, down by 7%. What's the bigger picture story on the markets? I think you've got to look at everything in the round and it's it's regional stock markets as a whole. And there's a, there's a lot of investors out there and they're just investing on different markets. So um, last year, the ADX did better than the DFM. Uh, this year, it's the other way around. But I think what you've seen is the real comeback in the Dubai privatization process. And that's really helped the stocks on DFM. So um, you've seen uh, Dubai come back really online and and you know strongly as well but you know you've got to look at the round how's saudi doing how's the adx how's the dfm and really the uae and saudi are the two real big gainers just you know across the board and you're seeing just such you know booming activity if we look at some of the ipos here in dubai over the past 12 months one of the most high profile was dubai taxi and it's done okay the ipo just a few weeks ago was at 1 dirham 85 closing last night at 2 dirhams 14 that is a gain of 16 16% since its ipo not blockbuster but it's done okay how are you reading dubai taxi winner or loser uh, i would say it's a winner i mean if you're an investor you've made a you've made a buck so you know that's a positive and when we've seen other markets where post ipo the the performance has not been good in terms of share price so anything that's positive has to be a good thing surely and looking at some of the more long-term IPOs, because that's, we just had a few weeks of Dubai Taxi. There was a bit of a pop after the IPO. But looking at some of the others that, that IPO'd a while ago, Dewa, for example, mm-hmm. which kind of kicked this whole process off a year or two ago, that's pretty much flat since its IPO. IPO'd at 2 dirhams 48, closed yesterday at 2 dirhams 45. Similarly with TCOM. The business park operator, we are um, in a, a TCOM building right now. Same story. IPO'd at 2 dirham 67, closed yesterday at 2 dirham 70. So flat over a couple of years or so. What do you make of those more medium-term performances? Well, I think you know, one thing is, is your actual share price. But the thing that's been very, very attractive, particularly for the Dubai privatization companies, is the dividend stream. So... Dewa is a classic example. Dewa actually had a special dividend declared at the end of last year, which, you know, was, I think, sort of around about 6%. So the the dividend yield that you're getting from these stocks as well is very, very strong. And that's what the long-hold institutional investors are absolutely loving because there's good, strong dividend streams. Maybe the share price, obviously, it's going to go up and down and the performance might be flatter than people have expected. But they've been able to take cash off the table through the dividends. You know, they're very, very profitable you know, in creating distributable profits, which, you know, investors, long-hold investors love. Let's talk about Abu Dhabi. The main index in Abu Dhabi may have been down 7%, but the IPO market was very strong. Start of the year, we had Adnok Gas. I mean, I know you as Altamimi, biggest law firm in the country, work on a lot of these deals, if not all of these deals. <clears throat> I know you worked on Adnok Gas. Yeah. That's up 30%, 3-0 since its IPO closing yesterday, just over three dirhams a share. These Adnok-related spin-offs do seem to be popular, don't they? Yeah, and, I, you know, 
if I'd said, you know, what's the, who's the biggest winners other than obviously capital markets, lawyers and investment bankers uh, in this region, it would have to be Adnock Gas is the real standout performer. I mean, if you had asked me 10 years ago, would the UAE have the largest IPO globally in the first half of a year? I mean, I just wouldn't have thought that that was possible. And that's the performance of Adnock Gas. I mean, it was incredible. And that it'll be the second largest IPO in the world. You know, you're talking about NASDAQ, New York, London, Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Literally only one other company has actually done a bigger or a larger uh, offering than that. So it's an incredibly big winner and a great story for the region. That was at the start of the year, and it's done very, very well. But just within the past couple of weeks, Brandy, I'll leave you for a month, pure health. And I know you guys covered this one. I mean, that's been what well, it listed a week ago at three dirhams 26. Closed yesterday at six dirhams. That's almost doubled in a week, Andrew. It's, and, that's, and that's in a really interesting sector. So the sort of healthcare sector, because the real, if you, are, if you probably, I was going to pick a sector, it would be a tech, particularly AI related stock. So Presight was incredible. That ended up, on the, I think it was the first week, it was 143% up on its IPO price. Pure Health, obviously, investors are loving that sort of healthcare asset class, and it's 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 a nice sector. But I mean that that post post IPO performance is incredible. I mean it's it's very very strong. And but you know let's see where it is in a year, and you know hopefully the markets will still keep going up. So it's incredible, really. But of course, people haven't made that much money. It seems ridiculous that they haven't because. It was so heavily oversubscribed yeah. that your allocation was so small, even if you bought into it. Even yeah. if you leveraged yourself, you got such a tiny allocation. Yeah, and I, look, it's not in my nature to talk about the losers per se, but you know, one of the things uh, that I think has been a bit of a feature with this oversubscriptions and you know the institutional investors that are coming in from all over the world to invest in the IPOs here, what that has meant is that the retail investors got a little bit squeezed in terms of the actual amount of shares that they can take up on these these IPOs. And because it's all pre-funded, you see the cash going into a bank account and you've got to put a lot of cash in to get a small allocation back. So, it, it, you know, one thing I'd love to see more of is actual allocations towards retail investors. I think that would be a, a, a really improved feature for 2024. Well, let's bring in one retail investor now. Brandy Scott, you bought into <laughs> DWA, didn't you? Which has kicked off the privatisation drive here in the UAE. It's pretty much flat since you bought it, what, a couple of years ago now? It is, but I get the excitement, like small Christmas presents throughout yeah. the year of constantly not just getting the, the biannual dividends, um, but from a couple of the stocks getting surprise dividends, yeah, which yeah. is a nice text message <laughs> to receive. What I want to know, Andrew, is what can we look forward to next? And that is a tricky question for you because you will be working on some of the upcoming IPOs. But what can you tell us? Yeah, so uh, it's it's very much in the market, which is the continuation of the Dubai privatisation process. So um, you saw Dubai taxis, but uh, parking uh, is uh, slated to come through in 2024. So that will continue. Um I think watch down in Abu Dhabi, tech-related stocks. You saw Bayonet at the end of 2022, pre-site at the start of this year. You might see sort of something coming out in the tech space. Um, education, 
uh, retail. Spinnies and Lulu. Well, on the there block you go. Read. Yeah, the retail retail sector is is looking interesting. But it's it would be really interesting to see what their equity story is because obviously Lulu, we know you know real estate and you know there's lots of branches and outlets. But will there be a tech spin as to what they're trying to do? You know, for their business plan, is it going to be tech related? So um, yeah, that's that's going to be a feature. I think the the, the sort of the the onus on tech and how that will perform because I mean you saw Nasdaq. I mean, Nasdaq is up 40-odd, 45%, I think, and that's really based on the tech stocks from you know, this year. Andrew, we'll let you go. You've got a week off between Christmas and New Year, but Tuesday morning is going to be back to the grindstone for you and the corporate finance lawyers and bankers, Andrew Tarbuck of Altamimi. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Richard. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.